My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Maybe one definition of a great pop song is that when you hear it, you don't even think about how it was written or who's playing what. It it feels like a song like that has always existed. A song like this one. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay I think you either uh, love or hate that song. Looking into the control room at the Q studio, I can tell with two people in it, one person loves it and one person hates it. Can I say honestly, I love Closing Time by Semisonic. It was the kind of breakthrough song, too, that fans can only dream of. Just a few years after that came out, Semisonic took a hiatus. And Dan Wilson, the guy who wrote and sang Closing Time, starts to work with other artists. And then that side of his career really starts to take off. First off, he writes um, I'm Not Ready to Make Nice by The Chicks, then known as The Dixie Chicks, which won the Grammy for Song of the Year. Then he works on Adele's album, 21, writes three songs, uh, co-writes three songs on that record, including Someone Like You, which is one of the best Adele songs. He works then with Taylor Swift and, and Chris Stapleton. And now, after more than 20 years since their last album, and after Dan's moved on to become, you know, the most in-demand hit maker in music, he's returned to Semisonic to make a new record, which is called A Little Bit of Sun. So we talk about all of it. We talk about what it was like to write Closing Time, what happens to your band after Closing Time comes out, how you write hit songs for Adele and the Chicks, and what happens when you go back to your own band afterwards. Here's my conversation with Dan Wilson. How are you? Hello, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. It's lovely to have you. What were the feelings you had when you got back together with Semisonic to make music again? Were they like the old feelings? Uh, uh, it was, I think we were a little bit nervous. So nervous was one of the feelings because, uh, you know, we wanted we wanted it to go really, really well. And the three of us, John, Jacob, and I have been close, even though we haven't really been, you know, much of a band for for a long time we've we've remained close during that time but i think still uh it it, w- it was a little trepidation and then um one of the things that happens with us is just that it's really funny so <laughs> pretty much very quickly lost our nerves and uh be- and started having a good time what have you missed about playing with them oh um it's interesting because some of the things I missed also are things that it's okay that I did without. Like, I really love the volume level of being in a rock band. I really love the loudness of it all. But um, that's not the best thing for your body uh, over time. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you know, and we're like family. We've known each other for so long. We've we've spent so many ridiculous formative times together. We had so many experiences that no one else except people in other bands, you know, could ever uh, begin to understand. So there's a there's a kind of an ease uh, 
a family like ease about it. But then there's, you know, we've, we've like every family, we've got our little tender spots or, or touchiness here and there. And, and, uh, so in a way the closeness comes with, with, you know, uh, maybe more vulnerability, but we, we really did have a great time getting back. The first week we got back together, I think it was more of a test for all of us. Can we really do this? Can we even sound good? And then when we took the rough mixes home at the end of the week to me in LA and Jacob in New York and John stayed in Minneapolis where we recorded, when we listened back, we're like, oh, we're still us, Mm. still good. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. Let's listen to some of the record. Come rescue me because I'm all alone. And I can't fight this darkness on my own Come set me straight cause I've been losing my mind Most things that made me laugh just make me cry Little bit of sun, little bit of sky I think I see it from the corner of my eye Little bit of hope, little bit of light I only need a little bit to get by Beautiful song from Semisonic's new album, Little Bit of Sun. Very hopeful song, Dan. Where did that song come from? Uh, that song came from Feelings of Hope. Uh, it was December of 2020. Mm. A pretty hopeless yeah. series of seasons. One, uh, of the, one of the all-time, one of the all-time one of the hopeless all, months. Um, <laughs> one of the all-time most dismal months. <laughs> the yes. VH1 top 10 most dismal months. Oh yeah, solid yeah. top five. It's, yeah, it's the number one, and then the rest are down here. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I was trying to picture uh, what life was going to be like on the other side of the whole um, disastrous pandemic. What it would be, what would I want, and what was I wanting right now? And and at that time. Um, I really was like, I would go for a walk in my neighborhood and I would just be like, wow, the sky, it's, it's so great. <laughs> you know, things like that. Just like, a t- like I really was kind of having this very appreciative in the moment experience now and again, um, you know, in between anxieties. And uh, I wanted to write a song that had that flavor. And I, and I kind of, to be honest, I wanted to write a song that sounded like Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. Because I kind of felt like that, um, wildflowers and full moon fever and uh, that era of petty has a kind of a cynical hopefulness. Like it's it's not um, in the end. There's a there's a, a spark of optimism, and I kind of wanted to write a song like that, and I did. And the the rest of the, it kind of set the pace or the tone for the rest of the record. It the, the, a lot of the songs have that same combination of embattled imperiled uh you know worn out but seeing a light at the end of the tunnel at the same time when i was looking at the album notes i i saw that the songs uh were often written by you with other bandmates or you with other songwriters are are you a natural collaborator yeah i think it's it's interesting because one of the almost like for me the backstory 
of the record is that um and and of our the ep we put out in 2020 uh called you're not alone that was the that was the record where i finally remembered how to be me dan in semisonic help me understand that better well it's like a like when i was um touring with the band uh you know, throughout the 90s and into the aughts, we, I I was um, very, very clear and single-minded in in my goals. I just wanted the band to be great. I just wanted people to hear what we were doing. I just wanted to write the best possible songs for our recordings. And then when we stopped playing and I started like learning how to help other people have those experiences, help other people have hits, help other people dig deeper and find something more like their inner artist, you know, in their, in their process. I, I, I got so good. I think at that, if I may say so, that I I sort of got bad at just being Dan and uh, in a song. And uh, I I wasn't mad about it. I I still felt like myself. It's not like I'm a chameleon uh, and I don't know who I am. It's more like I didn't have the instant access to the voice that made things sound very semi-sonic like you know, and, and getting that back um, a couple of years ago, was really, really um, joyful for me, because we had tried the guys and I got together in 2011, and and did a bunch of songs, and none of us were very excited about them. I wrote a bunch of songs, I was like, yeah, yeah, I did it. And then we played them, and it just didn't really sound like us. It was not None of us are jumping on the table saying we've got to, you know, finish these tracks. And so years, more years passed. I did other things and, and um, I don't know, suddenly I found myself able to be that guy. In terms of collaboration, I was having a conversation with my friend earlier today who had spent a lot of their music career in the 90s playing in bands. And he was talking to me a little bit about how in the 90s when he was coming up playing in guitar bands, the idea of collaborating with other people to write your songs, the idea of your song not coming from just you, that there was some sort of authenticity in a soul authorship, was so present in the expectations around guitar bands of that time. You who have made a career with collaborating with others, did you find that? I saw you sort of nodding, so I think I know might know the answer. You found that in the in the 90s as well? I did. I have to set myself apart from that a little bit because when, when I was a kid, my parents used to listen to folk rock records from Los Angeles, and one of them was Tapestry by Carol King. Yeah. And, and Tapestry had a version of You've Got a Friend, which I had heard sung by... James Taylor. You just call up my name and you know wherever I am. So I I I looked on the on the the packaging of Tapestry and it and it said that the that Carol King had written You've Got a Friend. So I realized that someone else had had sung the song. James Taylor had sung the song, but it hadn't written the song. And that was very fascinating to me. And then I found out that she'd written a lot of her songs with Jerry Goffin. And then I basically I started to realize that you can 
one of the things that people do is write songs together. And so actually I was always, I was open to that. And I kind of tried to get my, my rock community to do that with me in the nineties, but everyone was like, Oh no, no, no. You wouldn't want to see the way my sausage is made, you know? <laughs> so like everyone was embarrassed about their method or they thought it would be uncool or yeah. They thought Maybe it would it be uncool. This, they thought it would be like, as you said, kind of in, inauthentic. I, I'm not a, basically I had my sights set on collaborating with people on songs the whole time. Plus I was in bands with my brother, Matt Wilson, and he and I wrote tons of songs together. Can you finish this? You know, I I'm three quarters done. I don't know what to do. And mm -hmm. we'd hand it to the other one and, and the other one would finish it. You know, did the success of closing time, which by the way, I watched a video of you playing it on Jay Leno yesterday. From Minneapolis, uh, their new CD, Feeling Strangely Fine, has just gone gold. Tonight they're performing the hit single, Closing Time. Please welcome Semi-Sonic. And I got such a kick out of it watching um, John play the hook, the hook, on, yes. -do -da -do -ba -do -ba -do, yeah. on keyboard yeah. with his right hand, with the bass in his left hand, waiting Playing the for bass with his other hand, yeah, yeah. waiting for the chorus to kick in. I got, yeah. I got such a charge, I got such a charge out of that. Yeah. Well, I guess first, I just want to ask, what happens when you release a song like that, and that, and that happens? There's not many of those songs, as I mentioned in the introduction. Closing time is just such an outlier. Um, the band started out with the intention of having fun, not working as hard, and making songs that might be pop singles. That was my thought. But, I mean, it never would have occurred to me that I would write a song that people would be, be listening to and quoting 25 years later. Like, that's outlandish, you know. And, uh, and not only that, it just doesn't happen to that many songs. And and I think sort of from that era, there's not that, I, you know, I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking of the Cranberries. Or Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. But some some weird thing about closing time where it has all the sort of signifiers of the 90s but that that isn't a bummer <laughs> it's kind of nice it's weird people enjoy that oh yeah that song that's quintessentially 90s but like what happens to you after that what happens after the song oh. comes out well, uh, a couple things happened to me. Uh, I became very, very busy traveling with the guys. And uh, I would say my, practically speaking, my life was kind of stretched to the possibly breaking point, but not quite. And just from the, just from the hecticness of life and the demands, and if you have a hit in... 10 countries, you have to be in all 10 countries at the same time. It's just crazy. So that was that was very challenging. And then for a couple of years afterwards, I um I kept trying to figure out how to do that again. 
you know, I think of people now who are on TikTok have a similar experience. They go viral and they have one one clip on TikTok that has a zillion, you know, views, and the rest have like a thousand. And now, and now they're spending all their time like scratching their heads and wondering how to make it happen again. And to some degree, I was trying to figure out how to write a song as good as closing time again. And maybe failing, maybe succeeding, I'm not sure. As good as closing time or as popular as closing time? I, I was always, bless me for thinking this, I was always of the mind that if I wrote something really, really great, then everyone was going to like it. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily true, really. I think I was. it was a nice naivete of mine. I think if you think about it, like many artists that we love, they have a hit that we all know, well, that's a great, huge hit. Like Radiohead has Creep, and we all know that's a big hit. But I'm a creep. I don't go back to Creep and listen to that. I listen to OK Computer and Kid A and all their other records, and I don't really care about Creep at all. But that's the song that like launched their career. So I think I probably was thinking, I just need to write something as good as Closing Time, but I don't even know if that's really what I was supposed to be doing. And I, luckily, I kind of gave up on that and started doing other things. I love that you can relate to people on TikTok, though. I do notice that. I do notice that like someone has a song that has you know 11.3 million streams and then the next one will have 300 like literally like 300 and i go it's what so does depressing. that what does that do to you <laughs> but it also tells me what you're telling me it's nothing new you know it's nothing new but the, the the um the multiplier effects in the culture are such that each next step of success is like 10 or 100 times bigger than the one before and so by the time you're having a big hit song, it's it's a million times as successful as the the most successful thing you did the, the week before, and and then you kind of fall into the trap. I would say I did, and everybody does, of thinking, well, that's because that thing is a million times better, but it's not. And you and I had to like convince myself that those ups and downs of people's responses are are out of my hands and really not a reflection of my success hitting the mark that I'm aiming for personally as an artist. Earlier when I was talking to you a little bit about your your writing post-Semisonic and you were describing going into rooms with other people, you said something that, that's been sticking with me. You said, like, you know, I had had this big hit and I thought I, I might have the ability to be able to help people have that experience that I, that I had. When you got started getting into rooms, let's just take the chicks, for example, um, yeah. Not Ready to Make Nice. Is the fact that you wrote closing time does that help you get does that help you either get into that room or does that help you gain the trust of the people in that room? I think with the chicks, um, they all knew closing time from bar time in their lives. You know that they, they all <laughs> knew that it was part of the culture, but they um, had. I had been working on a record with Rick Rubin and the, and Rick played them three or four of my songs from eventually what was 
the album called Free Life that I put out. And uh, they they loved those songs. And they they had some notion that they could cover those songs. And then Rick said, well, you also maybe try to write some songs with Dan. See what happens if you do that. And and uh, I think, so they had heard some things of mine that that really, really resonated for them. And I think it does give a sense of trust. Like when, you know, when we get in the room with this person, I got a higher confidence level that he's going to be able to deliver, I guess, or be, be cool almost like just be okay, be a good hang. So I do think that that's part of it. I, and closing time as a, as a, as a calling card for writing with people, it's probably a pretty great one because the songwriters really like the lyrics of that song. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a pretty smart song kind of masquerading as a dumb song. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, but you're not going in with the chicks to write um, a love song or a, a wistful song about days gone by Mm. You're you're in there almost with a specific purpose, almost like writing a song for a Broadway musical. I mean, this was this was shortly after um, Natalie Maines from the Chicks had had made. I can't even remember the verbiage of it right now, but she had made some kind of comment about George W. Bush and the war in Iraq, and that you know she was embarrassed to be. He was from Texas, and and the world was really against them. And everyone like now would be waiting for a Twitter thing or we be waiting for an Instagram post from an artist who had done something controversial. In that era, we were all waiting for like, what's, what, in retrospect, how cool. We were all waiting for like, what's the song going to be? Like, yes. what's their battle rap against yes. mainstream culture going to be? Yeah. Like, you had yeah. to be there for, that's that's the one you wrote. I mean. Yeah. that's And then that's what I thought, that's what I assumed that they would want to write. It, it's so interesting. We all we artists have very, very different perspectives on our work than on other people's work. The chicks and I got together and they played me a whole bunch of the things they'd been working on. And, and several of the songs that they were working on just subtly, glancingly touched on the controversy about their um, being blacklisted from the radio because of their comments about the war in Iraq. Uh, just subtly. And... And I said at the end of this little listening party, I was talking to them about what what we could write. And I thought it would be kind of cool to touch on the whole controversy that you got into about being against the war and the fact that the that country radio kicked you off the airwaves, you know, all at once instantly. And they were like, no, we've been talking about it so much in the other songs. And I, the next day, we, we so we worked on a different thing. And the next day, I kind of had to tell them, I, I actually think you've been too subtle about addressing the, the, the controversy you've dealt with, that the, the dismal, horrible experience you've had. You've been too subtle for, for me as a fan. I would not really realize that you had covered that subject. And I think I have an idea for for a song that we could write that would take the bull by the horns, you know? And so that was not ready to make nice. Forgive Sounds good Forgive I'm not sure I could They say Time heals everything But I'm still waiting 
for me to figure out I've paid a price And I'll keep paying little bit of the chicks then known as the dixie chicks and their song written by my guest today dan wilson that's not ready to make nice coming up dan will tell you about working with adele on her massive hit someone like you and how their demo version was what ended up on the final album that's after this on q Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. Right before they put the record together, they kind of frantically called up and said, can you send us the files for the piano vocal version? And I assume that's her. I, I kind of assume that's Adele's just not having it. She wanted it to be that beautiful, simple version. That you settled down, that you found a girl and you're married now. I heard that your dreams came true. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the songwriter Dan Wilson. Earlier, we were talking about his new album with his old band, Semisonic, about his life as a hit songwriter and producer. And I would have been remiss not to play a bit of this song for Dan and ask him how it happened working with Adele. Here's the rest of my conversation with Dan Wilson. I hate to turn up out of the blue, uninvited, but I couldn't stay away. I couldn't fight it. I had hoped you'd see my face and that you'd be reminded that for me. From 2011, that's Adele with someone like you. You you didn't look out the window or put your head in your hands while I played you that, Dan, which is a good sign. What, what's going through your mind? Uh, I'm curious. You know, I, I, I always forget how incredible her vocal performance is on that song. I know it's great, you know, in the abstract, but when I hear it, it just floors me every time. And I can't believe that I was there in the room when we played the song. I, it was like, and I was just, we're just working. I wasn't, I wasn't saying to myself, you know, oh, musical history, you know, or anything like that. I was, I was, I was just like trying my best to help her, like, get it like over the top, you know, make it just really intense and, and heartfelt and beautiful. But then when I hear it, it just kind of blows my mind, actually. T- tell me something that you remember about working on that song with Adele. <laughs> Oh, lots of things. We laughed a lot. She's so funny. Yeah, she's funny. And uh, it was so lighthearted. And uh, I don't know where she's at with this, but I, I don't think she'd be sad if I said she took she took a cigarette break every 25 minutes. 
So we were out in the courtyard outside of the building so often, all day long. So there was a lot of time to just shoot the breeze, you know. And um, I do remember her, like, her clarity. Like, I have clarity. I know what I want. And she knew what she wanted. And it was great when those things kind of uh, bumped up against each other. She's really, she's a brilliant collaborator because she was able to negotiate okay which of the things could could i get my way on and her not like horse trading but just literally like okay you're probably right dan but it, this other this other thing has got to go my way and it was just really you know she was pretty young at the time so it was it was pretty cool to see someone so self-possessed and such an equal you know instant like peer it was well, great was it stuff like like uh, the thing that's always blown my mind about that song is that it was like a global number one all around the world in without any drums yeah and with in my mis my understanding it's just piano and vocal the whole time yeah was that yeah. is that we like was there someone pushing you to be like no no add some add something to this add a little bit to that and and you were like no there's a clarity here that we need to have no, that's that's not what happened. But it, but something. But in in the long run, that's what happened. I I sent Adele and her management the simple piano vocal version with one harmony in the bridge, uh, and then I kind of just moved on to other things and and you know, sort of. Sometimes you never hear back from people. Write a song with them. I might think I might write a song with someone. Think it's the best thing. <laughs> I've ever done, never hear back from them. A year later, they call me and they're like, let's get to together and write. And at that point, I'm not sure, should I even not mention the thing we did before? Is it like so taboo now that we, it's, let's just never say it? It was so yeah. embarrassing. Okay. To, so, so, uh, so I heard nothing and nothing. And then I, I spoke to a friend who was visited a friend of, a. Uh, uh, of mine who was working on the record and he played me a version of the song which is almost like a quiet storm jazz like r&b version very very um smooth mm -hmm. and uh with a with be a beautiful string section very glorious like you know uh and i didn't i didn't love it but i was like well if that's what they're doing okay but i didn't i didn't love it as much as the super simple version and then Right before they put the record together, they kind of frantically called up and said, can you send us the files for the piano vocal version? And I assume that's her. I, I kind of assume that's Adele's just not having it. She wanted it to be that beautiful, simple version. Never mind, I'll find someone like you. Okay, so let me, let me close off this way. The thing that you told me is that you had spent all this time writing songs for other people. 
Okay. And then you had to go back to who you truly were in the 90s and this person who was trying to write songs for Dan and, and was, you know, to be reductive, that's that's the Cole's notes of what we I were I love on. the reduction. Yeah, there, there it is. I, listen, I'm in the media. I am nothing except reductive. <laughs> and then and then, um, and then we talked a little bit about the songs that you you wrote, you know, at, at post-Semisonic or during the Semisonic hiatus that did very well for other people. And you 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 accrued those skills doing doing those kind, that kind of work. Let's let's flip it at the end. What did you learn in that journey as a songwriter, writing for folks like The Chicks and Adele and Chris Stapleton and, and yeah, 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 that you brought back to Semisonic this time around? Is there anything? Well, a couple of things. Um, John and Jacob and I were very, very kind of self-contained. You know, like we had our little bubble and nobody came in the bubble and we made the records ourselves and we involved the label as little as we possibly could. And, you know, that's just a kind of like self-contained indie rock band um, mentality. And because I've become such a kind of, uh, I don't know, communitarian in music, I, I just couldn't help bringing friends into the process. And, you know, like writing a couple songs with Amy Allen and a couple with Laurie McKenna for oh. the new Semisonic album. And uh, one with Jim James, uh, from my morning jacket band that I love. And like, I think what I've learned is like not to be really influenced by who wrote it more like, what does it sound like when, when I, the singer sing it, does it sound true? Does it sound soulful? Does it sound real or does it pique my interest? You know, whatever your standards are, I now kind of am very, open to getting that sense of realness from my voice even when i had very little to do with a certain section of a song it doesn't matter that's it's absolutely beautiful and a beautiful record dan um and i always love chatting with you and i, I really appreciate, yes. appreciate the time such a pleasure for the new Semisonic album because up until I started getting ready for this interview here are the Semisonic songs I knew closing time that was it so the new album really really good and it has to be with a songwriter like Dan Wilson in charge Semisonic with their new song The Rope before that my conversation with Dan from the band their new album Little Bit of Sun is out now all right, that's it for the show today. Uh, the other episode we have up today is a conversation with Zabrina Douglas, who is a full-time nurse and mother of five and stand-up comedian. How does she do it all and how does one help the other? You're going to hear her conversation with Saroja Coelho. Uh, that's the other episode available on 
our podcast wherever you got this podcast. So go check it out. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.